and go. welcome to It's Symbolic, where we take the time to look at all of that cult media you may have missed. I'm Jacob Savage. I'm Mir. Uh, I'm Ben. If I'm allowed to, can I can I have a brief um, a moment? Oh, certainly. Jacob, may I have a moment? Yes. You re- yes, you may. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think I introduced myself with some really dumb shit last time, but it was because I missed my cue and I felt like I needed to save face, but it, I was wrong. It was a wrongful act um, and I deeply regret it. So there's no more yes, jokes from will... now on. All, all right. No jokes. Is that what you said? I said no jokes. Oh, okay. Okay. So we are completely in serious business now. No, just me. Oh, oh. okay. So, so you expect the two of us to pick up your slack? You act like that's a lot of slack. Anyway, we're talking about the giant claw. So, What's the giant claw? Well, I'm glad you asked. I take it everyone is familiar with the concept of the B-movie. Yes. If you make a Seinfeld joke, you are kicked off of the podcast. See, I was waiting for someone else to do it and then calling them on that because that was just the lowest hanging fruit. And you took the bait. Oh, sorry. No, not you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the B-movie, the low-budget commercial film, which, you know, isn't true art or whatever, kind of hit its stride in the 40s and 50s before disappearing off the face of the earth. And I do feel like this is probably one of the, if not the prime example of the B-movie. It's really considered the the height of the B-movie genre, then. Well, in my opinion, it's a lot of what it's about. Hmm. Let me go into some detail. The film is actually directed and produced by two frequent collaborators who had gained a reputation of sorts for this sort of genre film by the mid to late 50s. Fred Sears, who directed, and Sam Katzman, who produced. Sears alone was responsible for more than 50 films in the 10 years that he worked as a director, and he was actually sort of brought to the B-movie big leagues, so to speak, with the 1954 serial Black Hawk. So you you can just crank out films like that, huh? Is that how that works? Five a year? It was the yeah. 50s. The, yeah. Back in the day. I mean, the, the, this kind of movie, it took, like, what, a month to shoot? So they were basically it, YouTubers. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. All right, that clarifies I mean, things. I, I, I'm, I, and now that I think about it, like, the title card that they would put in the lobby is the 50s equivalent of that overly stylized YouTube thumbnail. Like, this. Uh, like... YouTube thumbnails I will never I will never click on. I was thinking of the Windows Movie Maker default like blue background white text. <laughs> <laughs> no like the funky background with the popular pretty boy YouTuber making a face up close and Oh okay, that the, does make a lot quote of sense. And comic Sans. That like, does make I a lot of sense. I eat my parents. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, he was well known among fans of these kinds of films. Probably his other biggest hits by this time were Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which has a bit of a reputation for Mystery Science Theater's treatment of it, and a little film called Rock Around the Clock. Ooh. Like the song? One of those one? Yes. L- like the song. Was the song in that? Yes. Th- th- that was the two flavors of B-movies at the time. Weird science fiction and rock music. I'm sure we'll get into more detail with these at a later date. 
I tried to find why this movie was made, aside from the, you know, movie biz stuff. And there were actually a number of influences that the filmmakers cited. The most prominent probably being the recent scientific discoveries, say, matter and antimatter nuclear physics, because it was the 50s, and if it wasn't a metaphor for nuclear power, it was a metaphor for those filthy commies. So it's like, if if we have movies for emojis now because they were the hot new thing in the 50s, it's like, we discovered antimatter, that's what everyone's into these days. <laughs> I want Illumination to make an that'd antimatter be, movie. That'd be really cool. The antimatter movie. <laughs> oh my god. So Coming you're saying fall, it doesn't matter? Fall 2020. <laughs> Other popular influences include the film Rodon, which had been released in 1956, a year before this entered production, and which you may find some similarities to if you know your kaiju. And I don't. <laughs> You are a disappointment to weebs everywhere. No, I know. That's definitely a hole in my repertoire. And they also say the short story by Samuel Adams Hopkins' Grandfather and a Winter's Tale from 1951, which I have not been able to find that easily. And again, I also barely looked, so. <laughs> hmm. Research. The tale and, to some degree, the film are all, are purported to be based off of some beast from French-Canadian folklore called La Cacagne. Which, first of all, is not how it's pronounced in French. In French, it would be la cacane. And second of all, I tried to find additional work citing this every time that I looked for la cacane. It just brought me back for this. It just brought me back to this movie. So take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, the well, the Wikipedia page for this says that la cacane or la cacane, as it's called in the movie, came from the Samuel Hopkins Adams story, Grandfather and a Winter's Tale, which was published in The New Yorker in January 1951. So Precisely. He was known for muckracking, muckraking. So oh. uh, his word may not be the most reliable. <laughs> Those crazy <clears throat> French Canadians, am I right? Mm-hmm. That was a joke about how a lot of muckrackers were racist. I'll cut it. <laughs> anyway, in regards to actual production, the movie stars Jeff Morrow and Mara Corday, who by this point had also actually gained quite the reputation. Jeff Morrow was known by this point for the movie This Island Earth, while Mara Corday was probably best known to audiences for the movie Tarantula, which I, I always... I never know how to spell Tarantula anymore. Thanks, Homestar. These are all horror movies, then? They're horror movie actors? Y yes, they're all like the horror B-movies. Sure. Generally, either giant monsters attacking people in a metaphor for nuclear power, <laughs> or a ripoff of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Sure. Wherein aliens attack as a stand-in for nuclear power. We were very big on nuclear power in those days. Yeah, given that this was a monster movie, there was quite a bit... The, the important part, the monster. They wanted the famed special effects artist Ray Harryhausen, who people might recognize for his work with, say, Clash of the Titans or Jason and the Argonauts. And he had actually already worked with 
Sears and Katzman by this point on the movie The Werewolf. But due to budgetary reasons, because Harryhausen doesn't come cheap, they instead hired a small company in Mexico, which I cannot find the name for anywhere. They're not appropriately credited in the film. They're not on IMDb. A good they're, sign. They're, you know, there are a few names that I've found relating to or being credited for technical effects, but I don't know if it's a, the actual effects of the monster or some of the more close-up stuff that they needed stump work for. Which, given that this was a homespun movie in the 1950s that wasn't attached to a major studio, it just say they, at one point, the characters walk away from an explosion and you can tell that they actually just threw flaming debris at them. And Holy shit. It wasn't a contract so much as a waiver, I'm sure. As a result, none of the actors saw the final design. Keep that were, in mind. Were they all dead? <laughs> no, while they were making the movie. They, they, yeah, they like they, kept they, it a secret or something. Yeah, or they just didn't make it until after the principal filming was done. <laughs> was it out of shame or pride? Probably shame. <laughs> I would be proud. <laughs> I do believe that they said at one point, ah, yes, the lead actress recalled once that the producer said, boy, this is going to be something. I'm spending most of the budget on the special effects. So the moral of the story is never trust a producer. Could you imagine if you were told that you weren't getting a full salary because they were spending so much on the special effects and then you see that? Oh, we, we haven't gotten to that yet, but we will. <laughs> the film was finally released in June of 1957. I could not find a concrete release date for it. But it was released on a double bill because that was how things worked in theaters in those days, especially when it comes to low-budget science fiction films. It shared billing with The Night the World Exploded, which will show you what kind of company we're in, I guess. Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, what do you think the night the world exploded is about? Uh, Could it be thermonuclear war? My guess is, um, based on previous disappointments like Monster Go-Go and Ring of Terror, it probably doesn't feature an actual <laughs> explosion of the world. According to Wikipedia, it is about earthquakes. Uh... Man, that's a very <laughs> loose use of the word explosion. Yeah, I mean... That's not exploding so much as it is shaking. Yeah. I mean, unless it, like, it, it shook some precariously positioned, I don't know, TNT or something, and then... Well, I, guess, land really collection. I guess uh, earthquakes can trigger uh, volcanic eruptions, so... Oh, there you go. Is that what happens, Jacob? Yeah, but the movie takes place in California. They're used to that. <laughs> yeah. Should have just called it Monday, am I right? No. I've never, I've never lived in California. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, moving on to the actual content of the film itself. The actual film concerns a test pilot played by Jeff Morrow, played Mitch McAfee, and a mathematician who everyone has to depend on, yet no one treats with dignity. While on a radar test flight, McAfee spots an unidentified flying object, which, you know, is cause for alarm given that it doesn't show up on radar because it's not made of metal that's how radar works mm -hmm. the only thing that's clear is that this monster is apparently as big as a battleship a battleship the biggest thing known to man 
I mean, I, I did some counting, actually. The word battleship is said, this film lasts about 80 minutes. They say the word battleship 12 times. You counted? Yes, I counted. Wow. I mean, I, I guess in those days you didn't have much in the way of point of reference for large things, except they totally did. So, <laughs> 11 of these battleship mentions are in the first half hour. So what I'm saying is please, please, please do not make a drinking game out of the giant claw. You will die. Back to the actual plot. They have jet fighters go and look for this object. One of them goes missing. And of course, this being bureaucracy leads to a lot of standing around and talking about things. The two leads head back to New York, but the plane that they are in is attacked by this flying battleship, which... Seems a bit coincidental, but we'll let it go. This kills the pilot, and they actually land... Where they land, they are saved by a Frenchman, a French-Canadian, which this movie takes place in New York, so I don't know what he's doing here. He's here to be foreign comic relief, I guess. Yeah, he's a French-Canadian, but he's a very stereotypical <laughs> Frenchman sort. He spends most of the time drinking, and they don't even have the decency to have him drinking wine. He's <laughs> drinking, like, stereotype correctly or something. The farmer also witnesses this in the middle of the storm, which I imagine must be dramatic as fuck, and proclaims that it is La Cacagna, which, according to the film, is a monster resembling a giant woman with a wolf's head and bat-like black wings. Which, first of all, they haven't said that it looks anything like that. They've only said that it was a bird. And that doesn't seem very much like a bird, does it? It's not what I know birds to look like. I don't know. We're all from Virginia. Maybe the birds up in Canada are just something else. Maybe they do look like giant women with wolf's heads. Maybe this guy was just optimistic and he was like, God, I could really go for a woman with a wolf head right now. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just his deal. Are you saying that he's a furry? A weirdly a with specific a wolf, does, kind. Does that qualify as a furry if it's like just the head that's wolf-like? Well, she's also got giant bat wings. That's true. That's true. And I guess there is some pretty liberal anatomy. I mean, that, like, that's more some... of an angel demon fetish than anything else. Hmm. Is that a thing? You know what? I won't worry about it. Anyway, on the flight back to New York, because the thing that you want to do is get back in the air, they actually determine that based off of the attack points, this bird must be going in a spiral. Which is strike one for this movie when it comes to bad science. And that's disregarding the giant bird thing. Any points can be connected by a spiral. That is what makes a spiral mathematically interesting. Or <laughs> what passes for interesting even, in basic geometry. I didn't even think about that until now. You could just sort of have the spiral be as dense as you want. <laughs> exactly! Hell, judging by the positions, you could make it a sine wave. <laughs> Fuck geography, this bird is a trick major. We are in serious trouble. Is around here, 27 minutes into the movie, where we get the best scene possible. 
another group of flying experts or whatever, you can tell that they're jackasses because they're flying with parachutes on and they leave the pilot to die, go up to examine these things and are attacked. And it is here that we get our first actual look at the marionettes. I have posted the picture inside our group God. chat for inspiration. What a but... good shot. God. <laughs> I just, is... like, the only thing I remembered about this movie was us in, like, a year ago streaming this and everyone bursting out laughing at once at Precisely, that which... See, now that I can look at it in a still, I can really appreciate the finer point of its design, I think. I didn't really get a good look at it before. Like, look at that tuft of hair it has going on. It's, <laughs> exactly. It's a very natural look, you know? It's a mohawked punk made out of Play-Doh. He doesn't, he doesn't need product or anything. He's just... I know. He, I, I love this guy so much. We all do. The janky teeth. The God, googly yeah. eyes. I don't know why they thought... A neck looks like that. It looks like it's made out of bone. I mean, if you haven't seen this, just picture, like, Beaky Buzzard from the old Looney Tunes cartoons. (laughs) Now get him addicted to meth. God. (laughs) (laughs) This is the closest thing to a Bernie Sanders persona that we're ever going to get. Oh my oh. god, that, that one's mean. <laughs> but but, but to, the hair is kinda. It, yeah, I mean, it is kinda. To be fair, I do want to meet someone whose persona is just literally the giant claw. God, and if someone had, if someone got a full suit of that, could you commission a fursuit of the giant claw? And how would you maneuver oh, it? God. The neck is so long. With dedication. You have <laughs> yes. to be truly passionate about it. I, I mean, I'm just saying, if. I had that much money to spare. It's just sort of like, I want to see a craftsman recreate this in a form that I could get inside of and, you know, really become this beautiful creature. (laughs) I know. I guess if you had one person in the body, like a big bird suit, and then another who, like, holds the head (laughs) up Stands on on their shoulders. (laughs) You have have three people in the neck all just sort of stacked up on top of each other. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mexico. They say the best giant monsters come from Japan. You have this truly a, blessed us. Truly on a work this day. of art. I feel like whoever designed this must have only seen dead birds in his life because <laughs> puppet design by Norman Bates. Any moment you expect it to turn to the camera and just like it's a living. God, could you? <laughs> I really wish they let him talk. That would have been spectacular. Well, look for my re-release. I know it's sort of maybe against the M.O. of a lot of these giant creatures, but I just feel like this guy has a lot to say. I, I know. You know? Well, I, I, maybe I'm sing. Sure, I'm sure he would rock the book tour circuit. Yeah. I think he, has, he probably has a great singing voice, too. God. I mean, you know, birds sing. This guy. One bird show. One bird yeah. show. One bird show. <laughs> I would go. The Giant Claws stand-up tour. (laughs) God, Jesus. While he's attacking these rich assholes, it does lead to the best sequence in the movie, where not only is there the reveal, but they jump out and he just eats them one by one. 
What do they expect to happen? Do they... Thanks to the glories of like green screen or back projection or whatever. What do they expect to happen? Have they seen how big this thing is? It's like that's like popping a sunflower seed or something. It's nothing. It's they as are big nothing as a battleship. <laughs> yeah, and they repeatedly enforce this bird's comparability in size to a battleship. You would think they would know better than to think they could really escape from this. Or maybe they just, maybe it was self-sacrifice. It was, they were, they view this bird as a god because who wouldn't upon setting your eyes upon it? And they were just like, well, what better use of my, my life and spirit than to honor this beautiful bird? I'm just, I'm just saying that's a train of logic that I can empathize with. I, I, yeah. I know, I know. I, 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 I'd say I, I that's probably just... at least relatively. <laughs> I think he just solved the giant claw. I didn't know it needed solving. <laughs> that to make the bird our god? or That seeing it like this battleship-sized bird inspires such awe in people that yeah. they have to sacrifice themselves. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, our actual leads, quote-unquote leads, we all know who the real star of the show is, mm-hmm. end up using weather balloon cameras to figure out what it looks like. And I repeat, the actors did not know that it would look like this. I'm kind of curious about the kind of the description that they were given and how that compares to the real thing. I do have a quote from the lead actor. Oh. Um, he says... The director, Fred Sears, just told us, all right, now you see the bird up there, and you're scared to death. Use your imagination. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. ah, just, just, uh, is it a giant a bird, or is pigeon. it a giant woman with a wolf's head? Right, thanks to feathers from the wreckage or whatever, they also managed to hit upon bad science strike number two, antimatter. I'm not saying that antimatter as a whole is bad science. I'm just saying I have no idea where they're going with this. Apparently, this bird comes from an antimatter galaxy. We don't know how it got here. Perhaps that's where all birds come from. (laughs) No, where there's matter, there's antimatter. Where there's bird, there's anti-bird. Ah, uh, you are so right. That's so true. Apparently the bird itself is not made out of antimatter, because, you know, otherwise everything that they have tried to use to fight it off, and even just taking in victims would lead to a tremendous explosion or whatever. No, it's just coated with some sort of antimatter shield or something. You know, like birds are. <laughs> is, it, is this supposed to be radiation? Did you mean radiation? Yeah, let's go with that. I guess. As, as good a guess as any. I just conflate the two because people knew what radiation was, but not antimatter. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just a simple theater major. I don't know what scientific advances were by this point. What do you know? He knows I musical know... theater. Shouldn't know that. So at this point, of course, the military has to take action because, you know, it's the military. They just can't let us have any any beautiful creatures like this roaming this earth. I know. But nothing it's works. As they are wont to remind us, 
bullets, cannons, rockets, nothing works, which they say about five times. Did you keep a tally this whole movie? You were just like, I'm noticing they're saying this a lot, and you just... Look, this movie has a reputation for the battleship thing, okay? <laughs> I, I'll take your word for it. By the time they... By the second time they say, guns, cannons, rockets, by the second time they say that, you've begun to take notice. In yeah, that that's fair. order. Maybe that's military procedure. We just don't know. Are you in the military? A uh, significant portion of my family is. So you're the expert. Are they, yeah, are they required by law to state weapons in a certain order? Um, I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> okay, check if they have to to, to list weapons I mean, in uh, ascending uh, strength, I suppose. Severity. I mean, most of your family is in the Navy, if I recall correctly. And this yeah. is like some sort of weird amalgamation of the Army and the Air Force. So, so, so they have minimal... Uh, bird combat experience precisely hmm. they hmm. say only five percent of people who are in the military actually engage in bird combat tragic i know when will they learn about the real enemy tell me about it by this point the bird is just apparently the spiral now encompasses the majority of the globe And, <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> yes, and our friend is destroying all of the stock footage he can get his hands on. We see it attacking New York. We see it attacking <laughs> some place in London. I'm United Nations buildings. Do they have nice reaction shots of local citizens in each area? You know, I mean, acting astonished in their native tongue. They they really just cover America and the UK. Which, given how uh, they would have, have portrayed budget. literally everywhere else, I consider a blessing. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. Given given what they showed about the Canadian. Oh, God. It's also around this time that they discover one of the other big reveals. The bird has made a nest. Aw, uh, he's settling down. Exactly. Well, she, I guess. I don't... No, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah She's we... got a goofy little egg. Naturally, the thing to do is just destroy it, apparently. Which, eh, even if the mother is causing widespread havoc, couldn't you just, like, call foster services? I would be happy to give that, that bird a nice home. Exactly. Bird nature versus bird nurture. Exactly. I'm just saying, I feel like there there was missed potential for some sort of spinoff here, like a, like a Clifford the Big Red Dog sort of deal, except it's someone's exceptionally large uh maybe a bit hideous pet bird <laughs> well now we're going to have to draw up designs for this i hope you're yeah, happy there goes my week I, I am do you think it would just be like godzilla and his son <laughs> where the uh, clear there's... kid appeal character that l barely looks like him god if <laughs> if we're talking the 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 visual difference between godzilla and manila but between Giant Claw and then whatever its child looks like, that would be a fucking sight to behold. Holy that would shit. That be beautiful. Like, that would be insane. And anyone, it would talk. Anyone would listening talk. with any creative vision, please get on this. Oh my god. This is... And they kill the child before we even get to see that. No! 
it's just rude. I feel so deprived now. I want to see what their artistic vision would have created for us. Precisely. Wow, I'm legitimately upset now. (laughs) The pilot, the mathematician, and, of course, the wacky French-Canadian go and destroy the egg, which the giant claw does not take well. I wouldn't take well either. I mean, not like if I was the bird, but just like from this standpoint, for the reasons given. I mean, the best part is just that the the French-Canadian dies, and the others are just like, okay, we'll take his car. (laughs) (laughs) That's just being a rude guest. That man saved their life. I know. They're, They're stealing his car in his honor. It's like, well, he's not gonna need it anymore. <laughs> and they're not wrong. This is immediately followed by the second best scene in the movie, where they're nearly run off the road by a bunch of hip young teens. <laughs> oh, <which> yeah. <laughs> you can tell. You can tell because they say daddy-o. God. Oh, yeah. What? Simpler times. Though I guess teens these days just say daddy. No! No! Excuse me. I'm just saying the facts here. So, of course, they speed ahead and just like, fuck the rules, we're not afraid of no bird. And the giant claw, like, picks up the car and nobody cares. And it's just like... It's just sort of that. You know, they run up to the victims and it's just like, oh, they're (laughs) unconscious. But there were four in the car and we only see two unconscious people. It's just the director's middle-aged spite, I'm sure. He wanted just some some means through which he could vent his frustrations with the youth of today and how they don't pay their proper respects to birds. I'm sure. Where's the reverence? I know. Where is the decency? Mm. Where's the respect? Exactly. As the movie ends, the bird is pretty much just tearing up New York, which is standard for New York. And everyone involved decides that they need to fight it, but it's got this antimatter shield. So they make a gun that can shoot a special type of isotope, which (laughs) apparently... Yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, bad science strike number three. You are officially a bad science movie, The Giant Claw. Who would have thought based on the title? (laughs) Needless to say, the birds perched on the Empire State Building and knocking everything off, destroying a ton of stock footage. They shoot it because there's not enough, but it's a problem because there's not enough time to fully put in the equipment. But they do it, the bird falls in the ocean. We get a boring hetero romance. (laughs) End of movie. And they really do drop the puppet into the water, don't they? I know. I mean, God. the final shot is just the talons sticking up out of the water, and it says the end. Awful. How could they do that to such a beautiful creature? I know. Yeah, I, mean, I want to know what happened to that puppet. Like, did they, they actually just, this... just dump it in the ocean? I want to know what and happened it... to that puppet, like, legitimately. No, I, well, like, I mean it. Just... I'm yeah, being yeah, they retrieve are... this. I want that puppet to still be alive and put in the Smithsonian. I I can't find... Nobody knows where it is. Chances are it was probably, like, dismantled for parts. But I want... So you can can maybe find its talon attached to... uh, Probably sitting in a warehouse somewhere. 
maybe burned in the 60s. But it's like if they threw it in the water, then they just had this ugly, sopping, wet puppet. And they were like, what the fuck are we going to do with this? (laughs) (laughs) You can make puppets waterproof. Have you seen the torment that the early Muppets went through? Yeah, but they would ruin its hair. True, that's most of what it has going for it. Uh-huh, well, tell me about no, it. Well, no, no, that, that, that's a lie, that's a lie. It can coast by on its natural charisma. God, that's a good point. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be so vain. Anyway, as for It's on the inside, up. that's what counts. And what's on the inside is antimatter. <laughs> yeah. As for the aftermath of production, naturally, this movie was panned. Like, people actually... Naturally... People actually thought that the acting was pretty decent, but needless to say, they mocked that puppet to no end. I I do like how one critic has said that the lead actress had more acting ability than she was permitted to exhibit, which is admittedly pretty standard for women in the industry, now that I think about it. They did not see what the monster would look like until the film premiered. The lead actor apparently first saw the film in his hometown... And left the theater early with his coat over his face so that nobody would recognize him. And then he went home and began drinking. It's because he got upstaged by the bird. That's understandable. It's like you think it's your big debut. And then there's just this creature that's ten times more majestic, ten times more talented, ten times more beautiful than you could ever be. That just steals the show. How disheartening must that be? I can totally understand where he's coming from. You know. The director, Fred Sears, actually died the same year that this movie came out. Like, late 1957, apparently it was a stroke, but he was 44, so. The producer went on to doing more low-budget stuff, did a lot of Elvis Presley films, apparently. The... I didn't know there was that much to film about it. Elvis. He was in a lot of movies. He was. Lead actor made a lot of appearances on television, most notably an episode of The Twilight Zone, which... Everyone appeared on the Twilight Zone in the early 60s. And the first thing... I remember the claw himself being on the Twilight Zone, unfortunately. I, I, I don't know. Maybe in one of the dinosaur episodes they did. Yeah, maybe maybe they just used a lot of makeup. That makes sense. And the first thing that's mentioned on Mark Horday's Wikipedia page is that she posed for Playboy like a year after this movie. So you can probably guess what she's most well-remembered for. But both had pretty much retired by... The 70s. Jeff Morrow died in 1993. Mara is still around. Actually, this film got a pretty decent reputation on the bootleg video market. Like domestically or abroad? Apparently it only had two official VHS releases. One in the US and one in the UK. Uh But given... I mean, a lot of the information on the bootleg video market is probably using U.S. figures. Right. And then it was finally, like, officially released on DVD in 2007. I'm sure my brother has it. Is it public domain, or does someone hold the rights? I think someone holds the rights, actually. Sorry, who holds the rights? I'm actually checking. Yeah, Columbia Pictures, I think, holds Uh, the rights at the moment. I'm a bit disappointed, because now my hopes to be able to create a sequel to the giant claw in which he gets his it can still yeah, happen we can have a campaign due. please give to our kickstarter our kickstarter yes thank you that's a good idea we can give we can give out real feathers from the giant claw as backer rewards the claw himself herself yeah you can herself thing yeah maybe you get to ride the giant claw oh dinner for two with the giant claw she's probably not very 
keen on being written. That's kind of demeaning. Yeah. But a dinner with her would be lovely. Just imagine I, the conversation. So many stories to tell. And so traveled, too. So well-traveled. I know. I mean, I guess she didn't get to see what I'm sure is really racist non-wasp, but still, <laughs> very traveled. This does have a bit of a following, not only among, like, the B-movie fans, but I have seen a number of people from, like, kaiju fan communities who are fond of this film. I've seen people make their own giant claws for fan films. Uh I, I didn't say they were good fan films, unfortunately, but, Aww. you know, like Giant Claw versus Godzilla or whatever. <laughs> I would, even if it's bad, I would watch that. Except it needs to be them being friends and not versus. Oh my god, yes. That, that, that needs to be more kaiju movies. Uh-huh. I mean, what kaiju is interested in being friends with people other than, like, later Mothra? And we just need less focus or just no humans at all. Just get them all out of there. No one wants to see them. No one wants to hear them. No one wants anything to do with them. Give me the bird. I mean, there's <laughs> Gamera. The That's true. True. Well, Gamera is another matter entirely. I do think what's so endearing about this film, you brought up that these people were sort of like the YouTubers of their day, and I think that's probably like the best way to put it. A lot. Of... Why are YouTubers now? At... Well, I guess. Well, I mean, in terms of like, if why can't and... modern YouTubers be doing their own homemade monster films then instead of prank videos or whatever it is? I'm very out of touch with current YouTubers. Yeah, I know. But, like, the thing why, is that, like... Why can't it be let's 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 play and more let's pray to our new overlord, the giant claw? <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. No, the thing is, a lot of bad movies just about... Why can't it be less, every... less Fortnite and more... Um... Didn't think that um... one through, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get that SEO on Fortnite. <laughs> Anyway, I'm just going to continue. The thing is, I feel like... Please do. I feel like a lot of bad movies, pretty much every bad movie after, like, the late 70s or early 80s, a lot of it is just, like, corporate greed or whatever. It's a bad word, but there's something a bit more wide-eyed idealist about bad movies from this era, where it's just the, Hey, gang, let's make a movie! What are those picture films that the kids like? It really does... Like, I was sort of making a joke at first, the whole YouTuber thing, but I think that there is a similar, uh, a, a bit of a similar spirit behind it, feeling like it's, uh, like, you know, this form of media is the Wild West, and you could just, I feel like, didn't we say the Wild West some, about something last time, too? I don't remember. Oh, well. Anyways, I promise I won't say everything's the Wild West, but, um, yeah, I talked about it, Flash animation was the Wild West, but uh, <laughs> this, this is also the Wild West. Everything is the Wild West. We all live in the West. Will Smith is there. It's, it's Will Smith's world, and we just live in it. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I was saying. Please continue. But no, it's all very opportunistic, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of modern like B-movie equivalents are like major companies and tie-ins and the like. And there's very few, like, independent efforts like this anymore. Right. It's just... Maybe if you're talking about level of quality, it's equivalent to those automatically generated children's videos on YouTube. Oh, God. But I've always thought that something that was clearly just a few people trying to make this product has been kind of wholesome. And that's why I love the giant claw. Even if he does look like a particularly vile anti-Semitic caricature. She. She. Even if she does look like a particularly vile anti-Semitic caricature. But I love her. I think she's beautiful just the way she is. Exactly. I love her. 
I love you, Giant Claw. I think she has room in her hearts for all of us because it is a big heart and it's made of antimatter. <laughs> it just sort of absorbs all the love in the world until there's none left. <laughs> all love is exclusively for the Giant Claw. There's so much love for the Giant Claw that it's actually kind of concerning. Anyway, this has been It's Symbolic. If you have a suggestion for something for us to cover, we are on Twitter at It's Symbolic PC, or you can send in a suggestion at our email, It's Symbolic Podcast at gmail.com. Anyway, I'm Jacob. I'm here. I'm Ben. Join us next time when we find out why I nearly messaged Ben about illicit drugs while he was at work. What? <laughs> 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 and I need you are all so near.